My name is Deborah. I'm a writer who loves all things money. I'm Hui Yu, and I'm a financial advisor who wants to help you fall in love with money. And you're listening to Good Girls Talk About Money, the monthly podcast where we talk about how you can build a clearer picture of your financial well-being and be more confident about money in general. Hey everyone, welcome back to Good Girls Talk About Money. So, Hui Yu, how was your week? This week was quite chaotic because I did some mini reno at my house. Um, it's very, very messy, yeah. Oh, what kind of reno did you do? I am making a, a transforming a room into a, a cat, a cat sick bay. So uh-huh. <laughs> that's what I'm busy with. How was your week? Well, um, my week was pretty stressful. Um, but on Friday, I actually went to the Singapore Red Cross and did a bit of volunteering with um, my colleagues from my new workplace. So we spent half a day there packing um, care packs for elderly um, who lived in the east of Singapore. Yep. Nice. Okay, okay. Yeah. So speaking about renovation, right, I remember the first time that I did like renovation on my first apartment and basically like I busted my credit card and, and it took me a while to repay back the purchases that I made on my credit card. And that got me wondering, you know, because um, one of my friends also brought it up. I mean, he's new to his workplace and I think he's only starting to sort of wonder whether he qualifies for a credit card but you know from your perspective do you think a credit card is absolutely necessary well this is a very interesting topic i remember the first time i used the credit card or i applied for a credit card and mm-hmm. it feels like so long ago but you know i mean it, it was very exciting for me because it felt so so mature and so adult yeah, I mean, I remember when I was 16, my mom passed me her Amex card to use when I went out shopping with my friends and I felt very adult. But on hindsight, that probably wasn't the safest thing for a parent to do. <laughs> wow, very lucky you. <laughs> my mom didn't do that for me. So what was your first memory of credit cards then? So, okay, my first memory is of my parents using their credit card. And I remember being quite fascinated watching them swipe the card, or you know, because they didn't need to use any cash. And to mm-hmm. me, that was a very new concept. But unfortunately, as with, I'm sure, many families in Singapore, my parents didn't talk to me about the, the responsibility of using credit cards. So uh, that was a very big topic that I, I missed. So talking about awareness for cre- of um, how to use credit cards properly, I remember a few years ago, a friend, upon receiving her first credit card statement, uh, looked at me in amazement and I was just like, oh, what, what's up with that? Then she said, like, so I spent a $1,000 on, on my card this month and all they said was like, you know, the minimum payback amount was $50. So do I just pay back $50? Um, I was quite shocked, but... Like, what, what would you have done if you have heard that same friend make that statement in front of you? Oh dear, I mean, I hope that friend paid up in full because otherwise she would have to pay interest on the amount that she didn't pay back. Yeah, that was what I explained to her. So I said, no, no, no. So basically, that minimum amount is what you pay by the deadline in order for them not to give you a late payment charge. That's right. But Yeah, but I think that's a rather interesting thing. So basically, let's talk about what's the difference between credit card and debit card. Okay, for debit cards, you can only spend the amount that is already in your bank account. Mm -hmm. Whereas for credit cards, you don't need to have the amount in your bank account yet. You are free to spend the money which you later pay the bank. 
So in terms of convenience, in terms of how it all makes sense, does it even make sense to spend money that you do not actually have? You know, the funny thing is, I remember when I was younger, like say in my primary school, and reading Xiao Ting Tang, you know, you know Xiao Ting Tang, right? Uh-huh. Okay. And Xiao Ting Tang came up with this fascinating invention of spending future money. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I was so fascinated as a kid with the concept, which brings me back to your question. Yes, it is greatly convenient for you to spend money that you may not have yet because you are assured of a monthly income. But in the event that you lose your job, like uh, what happened this year during, during COVID-19 where many people were retrenched, that could spell trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so sometimes if you, don't, if you don't handle the convenience properly, it could bring you more headache. Okay, and there's also this status perception when it comes to credit card versus debit card. It seems like most people think that it's more prestigious to use a credit card than use a debit card. What, what do you have to say about something like that? <laughs> this, this is quite funny. I, I think back in my parents' generation, when it was mm-hmm. quite a big deal to, to own a credit card when it first came out, you needed to have a minimum income or something like that. Then yeah. there was that prestige. But right now, it's so diluted. I mean, even, even university students have credit cards. Yeah. So I, I no longer understand the, the prestige in having a credit card over a debit card. Mm-hmm. So, Debs, do you have a preference between debit cards or credit cards? Well, I must admit that I was one of the uh, people who thought that using a credit card was more prestigious than using a debit card. So basically, when I first started applying a debit card was when my annual income hit 30000 And I mean, to be honest, it wasn't that hard to hit 30000 in terms of annual income um, after two years of working. So when I applied for my first credit card, I remember, you know, I was so eager to use it and to show like my friends, my families, that, you know, I finally earned enough to qualify for a credit card, right? Um, and then, you know, I think a, more than 10 years ago, OCBC had this card called the Titanium Card. I mean, yeah, you have your Gold Card, you have your Platinum Card, but a Titanium Card sounded so cool. So um, I think the annual um, salary requirement for a titanium card was $50,000 and when I met that salary requirement for the titanium card, I immediately went to apply for it. I think at, the, at one point in time, I had as many as five credit cards and I'm surprised that I never actually, you know, got got into trouble with like credit card debts. But on hindsight now, um, after a few years, I realized that, you know what, credit cards really mean nothing when you don't keep track of the rewards that you actually qualify for using these credit cards. I know I have friends who have, you know, um, they know at which restaurant they should use which credit card. And I think I saw a friend with nine credit cards in her wallet (laughs) before. I was amazed because I can't even, I, I don't even remember when to claim my points and stuff like that. So now that I'm older and slightly more sensible when it comes to money, I've dwindled my credit card to two and Actually, I'm using more debit card these days. Now, without without actually revealing the brand of my debit card, so the debit card that I'm actually using is really quite cool. It comes with an app. I put in the amount of money that I actually want to spend in that month and whatever it is, I charge to that debit card and it automatically breaks down, you know, my budget spending categories and stuff like that. And it pings me when I... When, I, when it says that I'm running, you know, close to busting my budget. So 
in a way, I feel like at this point in time, when if you know the difference, the pros and cons to using a debit card versus a credit card, I would say that if you want to get a better handle at managing your money, a debit card actually makes more sense. What do you think? I definitely agree because with debit cards, you you can you know you will definitely be spending within your limits based on how much you already have in a bank account. Mm-hmm. And but on that note, right, it's quite interesting because I have seen friends with, like you said, multiple credit cards. And there is one credit card for any purpose, for every purpose. Okay, like for example, they go to this restaurant or they are shopping and it's, it's for accumulation of miles or like money back or something. Cash back. Cash back, yeah, that's right. And it always fascinates me, like how do these people keep track of mm. the many credit cards that they have? So like you, okay, you have dwindled down to two cards. I only have one card. What? Yeah, I'm just too lazy trying to keep track of which card I'm spending on and I'm bursting my budget and all these things. And I learned the hard way in the sense that mm-hmm. I, I witnessed my dad. He, he was using, he was borrowing from card to card to pay, pay off his gambling debts. So at the end of it, when it all snowballed and mm. um, the amount got out of hand, he had yeah. to turn to a debt consolidation plan to help him manage yeah. the outstanding debt. So that part was really painful to witness as a, as a teenager. Mm. Yeah, talking about debt consolidation and stuff like that, right? I remember um, getting a phone call from one of the banks who was like, you know, trying to tell me. I think after a while, I kind of figured out what that phone call was about because for a while, I didn't know why they kept asking me about shifting my credit card payments to that particular bank's card and i was just like why when i still have to pay back that amount of money right so i was so confused then then you know after about like two years of receiving these calls consistently okay really that really they were relentless okay Um, almost every two months i was getting a phone call from x bank asking me whether i want to shift my credit card bills to a credit card under that bank and I was so confused because I'm someone who pays my credit card bills off in full when I got that phone call I was thinking I, I thought for a very long time and finally I asked her so you're saying if I have any outstanding credit card bills that I have not paid I should shift it to this card here because you're offering me a better payment interest rate to pay off these credit card statements right and she's like, yes. And I said, oh, then can you please stop calling me because I pay my cards <laughs> off in full. And there was a very awkward silence and she was like, you mean you pay your credit card bills in full? And this leads me to my next question. Are we not supposed to pay our credit card bills back in full? Okay, please, please, please pay off all credit card debts in full. Okay, as your financial advisor, I am so glad <laughs> that you do. Because otherwise, I would be very extremely concerned. Why do some people not, I mean, some people, they can pay it off in full. I, I've heard of stories where people are perfectly capable of paying off their credit card bills in full, but they choose not to, and instead they want to use that money to, inv- I mean, is there such extreme cases? Have you heard of it within your own circle? Uh, okay, let's just say that if they are my clients, I would have advised them mm-hmm. to pay in full. Okay, <laughs> because I mean, if they had known how high the credit card interest rate is, I'm very sure they, will, they wouldn't want to incur the interest rates. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So the interest rates. And what are the interest rates? Yeah. Okay. So the interest rates are anything from twenty four percent to twenty seven percent. Okay. Just think mm-hmm. about it. It's extremely high. You compare it against your your bank interest rate of zero point zero five percent. Okay. That's how much the bank is paying you, versus the mm-hmm. interest rate of twenty four or twenty seven percent that they are charging you, if you don't pay off your credit card, your credit card debt in full. Mm. So can you imagine how much profit they are making if you don't? So actually, someone who doesn't pay their credit card bills in full makes for a better customer than someone who pays off their credit card bills in full. Am I right to say that? Okay, you got it. You, yeah, this is exactly it, and that is why <laughs> you see banks have been so aggressive in marketing credit cards. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I have been waylaid quite a few times by I don't know what you call them. Promoters along the streets mm-hmm. who are trying to sell me, or not, don't, they're not even selling me. I don't even have to pay. In fact, they are rewarding me to sign up for a new credit card by throwing me freebies like a luggage or things that are un- unreally necessary to me. Okay. Yeah. So right now, the cost of applying for a credit card is almost zero, and there are freebies to be gotten. The allure is there. I can see why, but mm. I keep coming back to. Being able to use credit cards responsibly, otherwise it will be the credit cards controlling you, which will be very dangerous. Yeah. So talking about credit cards and you know why they make such a attractive product for banks, right? I also um learned something new recently that you know on those websites that compare, you know which credit card works better for drivers or which credit cards work better for new homeowners and stuff like that. And if you actually sign up for a card. You know, via those website, they also earn a pay, like they also kind of earn like an affiliation fee from from the banks. Mm. Yeah, and and apparently the 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 amount they get for every credit card sign up is quite attractive. Right. Yeah. Okay. So, would you recommend that you know people completely avoid credit card, or they should only use a credit card for something like, say, for instance, they want to buy um. A very, you know, they want to pay for a very expensive holiday for the entire family, and it just so happens that the tour agency is offering like zero percent installment plan. Okay, I think um, it is very convenient to make use of zero percent uh, installment plans for for credit cards. But when you use that right, please be mindful that if you don't pay up every month, additional interest rates will be charged to you, and mm-hmm. when you when you take up. The zero percent interest rates for the installment, you may be incurring a service fee. So these are the yep. hidden costs that um, you have to find out before you sign for any big ticket item. Welcome back to the next section of Good Girls Talk About Money, and this time round, Hui, I have a very interesting. Thing that I would like to know and learn about, which is the SRS account. I'm seeing a lot of ads about the SRS on my Facebook, on my LinkedIn. You know, even my uh, robo advisor. You know, ad people they are sending me emails about opening SRS account. What is SRS and what does it actually do? Okay, so this is the season for SRS contribution, because if you want to make an SRS contribution, it has to be done before thirty first of December. So back to your question of what is SRS. SRS stands for Supplementary Retirement Scheme. The difference between SRS and CPF is 
SRS is entirely voluntary. So nobody will force you to open an SRS account or to make any SRS contribution. Okay. The SRS scheme is um, offered by the Singapore government and it's designed to help individuals save for retirement. So this is one point that I would, I would keep coming back to. Because it's for retirement planning, the duration is long. If you want to withdraw the money before retirement, the current statutory retirement age is 62 years old. So if you want to withdraw the money in your SRS account before 62 years old, you will incur a 5% penalty fee. Mm. Okay, and so basically, let's say for instance, if I put in $100,000 and by some stroke of luck, you know, that $100,000 become $150,000, can I take out that $50,000 or will I still incur that penalty because I'm withdrawing that $50,000 before 62? It's interesting that you should use this example and, and you use the words stroke of luck because um, <laughs> you know this, this year is COVID year uh-huh. and for someone to make a 50% profit is completely possible. It, it wouldn't be a stroke of luck. Okay, so okay, anyway. Then, really? Yeah, really, seriously. Okay, okay. But let's <laughs> we're just... going to have a conversation about that. <laughs> okay, sure. But let's just put it aside for, for the time being. Back to your question. If you were to make that 50,000 profit, you can only withdraw the profit when you hit age 62. Or if you want to withdraw the money, the profit before 62, then you will have to incur the 5% penalty. Mm. Okay. I'm having a little bit of difficulty trying to figure out how the whole tax relief thing work for SRS, right? If I put in $10,000, does that mean that um, the tax relief um, comes in because there's $10,000 in my SRS account? Or is it if I use 5000 of that $10,000 to invest, then the tax relief comes in for $5,000? <laughs> I can hear the confusion in your head <laughs> as you are asking me. Okay, and I'm sure and I'm sure many people have the same question as well. Okay. So the minute you, you channel your ten thousand dollars into your SRS account, the tax relief will be on the ten thousand that you have contributed to SRS. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much of that you use to invest. Okay. So even if you were to just let it sit in your SRS account and you do nothing about it you will still enjoy the $10,000 tax relief. Hi everyone, welcome to the final section of Good Girls Talk About Money. Hey Debs, so in my 12 years of advising people on their mm-hmm. finance, I've come to realize that emotions are intrinsically linked to money and most decisions come from emotional impulses. I absolutely agree with you on that. You know, um, it's quite interesting that you should bring that up because I'm actually reading this book by this guy called Morgan Hauser um, called The Psychology of Money. Interesting. I've never heard of that book before, but I'm going to read it after this. So do you feel that your emotions play a big part in your financial decisions? Um, well, I, I will not answer that question just yet. Okay. Um, I'm halfway through The Psychology of Money. Actually, I think there are 20 chapters and I'm now at chapter 10. Um, But what I've learned so far is that, you know, there's this new thing that there's a difference between being rich and being wealthy. Hmm, Tell me more. Okay, so so, um, I think this was in chapter 9 and I think he also briefly mentioned uh, this whole concept of you know, the difference between being rich and being wealthy in chapter 6 as well. But let's talk about 
you know, what's the difference between rich and wealthy, right? So, um, basically, wealth is something you don't see. So, when we look at someone and we look at the flashy cars that they drive, we look at the big houses that they live in, you know, sometimes you mention to me like how some financial advisors, their Instagram is just filled with their designer buys and stuff like that because they want to show people that they are so successful and things like that. Mm. That is someone being, you know, showing the world that he or she is rich. But it may not necessarily mean that they are wealthy. Right. Because wealth is something you don't see. Mm. So basically, you know, if you spend a lot of money buying all these fabulous stuff, people will probably look at you and go, oh yeah, he's probably rich. But what people don't see is the credit card bills that you have uh, accumulated to pay for these wonderful things. What people don't see is the huge mortgage that you have to service every month. So what this uh, book actually is teaching us, you know, is basically to see money, to shape our attitudes towards money by being a little bit more rational about why people behave in a certain way when money is concerned. So like one of these things was like, you know, um, when people say that they want to be a millionaire, mm-hmm. what they're mostly saying is that they want to spend a million dollars. <laughs> okay. Because there's no faster way to feel rich than to spend a lot of money on a lot of nice things, okay? And the thing is, but to be wealthy is to not spend the money that you do have. Right, okay. So it's it's all about your money management habits, you see. So so I think I'm learning quite you know, I'm I'm also shaping my money attitudes as I'm going through this book and it's made me a little bit more practical about the way I see my material uh, accumulation, the stuff that I accumulate, you know, whether it's the the current flat that I'm living in, whether it's the, the designer bags that I have. I think for the longest time, I'm, I am I keep asking myself, oh, you know, I can afford it. Why don't I just buy a Chanel bag? Mm. But sometimes when I'm a little bit more rational, I'll be like, right, so you spend the $8,000 on a Chanel bag and then that's $8,000 that you could have spent either putting it into an investment or just paying off on the principal of my mortgage, exactly, right? Exactly. And I feel like in the long run, I would be better off without that Chanel bag. Right, okay. And although it feels like, you know, sometimes when I go out to a fancy event and I see everyone carrying a Chanel bag, I want that Chanel bag, but I'm glad so far, I've been a little bit more cool-headed and you know, I still do spend a couple of hundreds on a new bag sometimes, but I don't think I will go as far as to spend close to $10,000 on a designer bag. Right. So this is, this is the same topic that, I've been, that has been on my mind for the past few years. I think as I, okay. as I gain more insight into why and how I spend money, I think it's very useful to have my clients as real case studies, which then yeah. helps me get better insight or what I want for myself and what I don't want. And also it's very useful to have colleagues around me who remind me constantly that, that there are things that are very nice but completely unnecessary. And then they will bring mm-hmm. me back to my objective. And they keep asking me, what's your objective for being in, in the industry? What have you learned so far? And I keep telling myself that it's to retire early, it's to retire early because I don't want to incur more debt because I don't want to be a slave to my mortgage or to my car loan or any of these things. Mm. So, yeah. 
I think coming back to what you said, and you, you, you shared so many things that are so useful and so true. First and foremost, it's so helpful when you can distinguish the difference between being rich, being wealthy, or you know, just being showy. Because when you are able to differentiate the reasons, then at least you can be making a, a smart decision. And you wouldn't be blaming anyone else for that decision. Mm, so if that's true. Right? So okay, even if you were to decide to splurge on a ten thousand dollar designer bag, but you know at the back of your mind is to make yourself feel good and look good when you go for special events. Um, I'm not saying that it's the smartest or most rational decision, but at least you have your reason. You know, it wouldn't be just a, a mindless decision on, on following mm-hmm. everyone else's actions. Yeah. There's one particular part of the book that also, you know, left a very good, very deep impression in me is um, this chapter on what it means to have enough. So basically, you know, the, the, one of the examples that, were, that was quoted in the book was that there's this guy who, who was on the board of um, one of the banks in the US. And during the 2008, you know, market crash, um, you know, there were talks that somebody might buy out the bank and he decided, even though he already had more than a billion dollars to his name, that he was going to capitalize on that opportunity. And shortly after he left his board meeting, he went to make a phone call to his financial advisor or his stockbroker or whatsoever and told him to buy up, you know, um, buy 100,000 or something like that of, of that shares, you know, of the bank. And when that, that uh, buyout happened, you know, he made a lot of money. But obviously, you know, the authorities caught on to that and he was thrown into jail. And one of the, and the quote that, that the author shared in this particular chapter is, there is no reason to risk what you have and need for what you don't have and don't need. <laughs> okay. Yeah, very well said. Yeah. And, and um, I think there's another, you know, story where um, Joseph Heller, the author of Catch-22, was was attending a party hosted by a billionaire, right? And and basically somebody remarked, you know, that the billionaire makes more money in a single day than Joseph Heller would make, you know, from his popular novel. And Joseph Heller says, yes, but there's something he will never have that I have, and that's enough. And I think it is such an eye-opening chapter for a book that is about money. Because when we look at, when we read all these, you know, a book about teaching you how to make money, about being rich, getting wealthy and stuff like that, it's always about, you know, this is how you can make more money. This is how you can make more money. This is how you can uh, make your money work harder for you. This is how you can make your money grow faster. You know, that kind of thing. But I think the concept that is, this this concept of being having enough introduced so early in this book is an eye-opener for me. And this is this is why I really strongly encourage everyone to read The Psychology of Money. Right, okay. Yeah. So I was having a conversation with one of my, my long-time clients. And I always learn new things when I talk to him. And he's quite an inspiration to me, even though he's only in his early 30s. Okay. He doesn't come from a rich family. But from a young age, he taught himself how to trade in shares. But he, he recognizes, he is very clear that there are some traits he does for gambling. And then mm-hmm. there are the safer instruments that he would use, like contribution into CPF, contribution into SRS. So there are very safe instruments that he will use for, for, wealth, for, for the growth of his, of his wealth. But he's also aware that there are times when he just wants to satisfy that gambling itch. Mm-hmm. And one thing that 
he keeps repeating to me is that he doesn't need, he doesn't feel the need to be like his peers where they are buying condos at a certain age and then from one condo they move into a larger condo and then they keep upgrading their cars. Because to him, it will be years shaved off from his retirement if he were to incur that kind of debt. Yeah. And this year when I met him, he was actually hoping to be retrenched because if he does, then it will completely bring down his household income and he can mm-hmm. then apply for a flat. <laughs> He's currently wow. married and staying with his with his mom. You know, I which he doesn't mind, yeah. That is another thing that it has just made my jaw dropped on the floor. Like I this is possibly the first time I've heard of someone saying that he was hoping he'll get retrenched so that he yeah, I, wow. I mean, that's that's something that that's something that I'm learning today. Right, but also he says it with confidence because he knows that he has more than enough in savings and in investments mm-hmm. to tide him over like a good two-year period. Okay, so every time I meet him, it's a reminder. It's a reminder to me of of what I absolutely need mm-hmm. and what else is excess. Yeah, and then from 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 there, I do my own. I do my own uh, homework and trim what I don't need. So it's interesting, I mean, you learn from the book, I learn from my clients, and ultimately it's all about the conversations that we're having inside, and just learning more. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, it, if it's a conversation about money, nobody should be afraid to have it, and nobody should be afraid to talk to their friends about money, and this is why we start, we started Good Girls Talk, talk About, about money. money. Yes. Yeah, and with that, I think we have come to the end of episode 2. Again, this is a work in progress. If you have any comments or any topics you want us to talk about, um, to research on and to share some insights with you on, please let us know at goodgirlstalkaboutmoney at gmail.com. Okay, so we will see you next month and Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everyone. Bye. Bye.